G'day, you're watching the online ministry from Inverell Anglican Church. My name is Adam Draycott. Uh, it's wonderful to share this time with you today. Uh, this ministry has been prepared for the 17th of September 2023. Our sentence of scripture comes from Psalm 86 verse 5. The Lord is good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on him. Uh, we will see when we open up Daniel chapter 6 that that is no less true there as well. Uh, let's share a time of praise. before 
creatures here below Praise Him above ye heavenly host Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost Let me pray. Almighty and ever-living God, you are always more ready to hear than we are to pray. And you give more than we ask and more than we deserve. Pour down on us the abundance of your mercy. We pray this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. As we enter into the ministry of God's Word, our Bible reading today comes from Daniel chapter 6, and our psalm is Psalm 57. Uh, so please take a moment. Uh, if you're in church, absolutely read Daniel chapter 6. Uh, if you're on your own, feel free to read it a number of times. It'll be of great help as we work through the passage in a moment. Uh, let's pray. Uh, loving Father, we ask for your help as we open up your word. Uh, we pray that we would be reminded of your love, uh, your grace, your mercy, our need for Jesus and for the hope of an eternal deliverance. Father, be at work by your spirit. Help us to use this time well that we grow in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been watching uh, the, a TV series called Alone. Uh, ten contestants are dropped into the wilderness in British Columbia, Canada. And to win, you need to survive uh, for, for months and months alone and outlast all the others who are also doing it alone. Uh, food, shelter... Warmth, all are challenges. Uh, but Canada also has bears and wolves and cougars. One contestant landed. They looked around. Uh, they see a family of bears up in the tree and they picked up the sat phone and they tapped out. Another contestant uh, they were trying to get their first night of sleep. Uh, they've set up camp, and during the night, two black bears are sniffing around the canopy. And, yep, same story. He picked up his sat phone, and he tapped out. Too bad help was three hours away. Uh, no one wants to become bear food, right? Nobody. Uh, but today in our story, we don't have bears. Oh, no, you already know what they are. They're lions. Rah! Very exciting. But it makes me wonder, as God's person in a hostile society, what would it take for me as a Christian to tap out? Or to compromise faith? Under what circumstances might I be tempted? To just give up and chuck it in. As we read through Daniel, we remember God's people are in exile. Uh, the nation 
has been put in a funeral casket of sorts, if you like, and carried over to Babylon. Uh, they barely got a pulse. Um, the Lord God, well, he's a joke, a laughing stock. He's ridiculed among the nations, deemed a non-entity. And the temple is dust and ashes, and Jerusalem is in ruins. And now there's constant pressure on God's people just to give up, to tap out. And so Daniel 6 speaks to this. It's good for us as well. Here's the first point. The world hates you, verses 1 to 9. Darius the Mede is king. Satraps, you read there, are like governors of a province. He's got 120 of them. Verse 2, uh, over them he's got three administrators, one of whom is Daniel. Uh, why? So that the king might not suffer loss. Right. So if governments are repositories of waste, graft and corruption, then Darius the king is wise to this. And Daniel is going to make a difference. I think we're meant to see that. Now verse 3, Daniel uh, so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel is so good he could do the lot. So he's up for promotion. So verse 4, the administrators, well, the other two administrators and the satraps try to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. He is outstanding at his job. Is this workplace jealousy? Is it anti-Semitism? Why is it that clean skins uh, are so disliked and detested in the workplace? Why is that true? I think it is true, but why? And so see, Daniel, he's both impeccable and entirely hateable, apparently. And so they want to trap him. They've trolled his Facebook. They've investigated his history. And they got nothing. But verse 5, you can count on him being a man of faith, even though even they know that. And so verse 6, the administrators and satraps, they go as a group to the king. That's verse 11, they go as a group. Verse 15, they go as a group. And what do they say to Darius? Verse 7, the royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed. No, they haven't. Daniel hasn't agreed. This is a big fat lie. Agreed to what? Verse 7, that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, what a bunch of sycophants, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, that's not a terrible idea because power is transitioning from Babylon to Persia, remember? And so this would send a clear message as to whom is boss. But do you see the clear choice before Daniel here? Do we see temptation, a pressure point of sorts? This is actually clever. Because on the one hand, it's good to enjoy the favour of the king. But what if such favour 
compromises faithfulness to God. So which is it? Human favour or faithfulness to God? Which do you value the most? Which is the hardest to let go of? The approval of others? Being a people pleaser? Why do we care so much about what other people think? Or is staying faithful to God? How about our church leaders? What, do you, what would you prefer in them? Would you rather they were people pleasers? Or faithful to God? The animosity towards God's servants is clear in the story. It was true in chapter 3 with the furnace, wasn't it? And now it's true here and they're in Persia. And it matters not where you are. The world hates you. No less true of Jesus. The light in the darkness, impeccable, apparently hateable. A group has charges made up. They get him arrested and flogged. Even though he was innocent, they crucified him. And so said Jesus in chapter 15 of John's Gospel. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. Chosen out of the world. All right, here's the next point. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem, verses 10 and 11. In verse 9, Darius walks into the trap. In verse 10, Daniel puts his head in the noose. The dibber-dobbers, they must be happy. It's all going to plan. But let's look at verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. All right, why face Jerusalem? And what is he praying? That was a question this week. Answer? I've got an answer. 1 Kings chapter 8. What's that? It's Solomon's long prayer. But verse 30, it says, Hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and this place here is Jerusalem and this new temple that's being opened. And then Solomon keeps praying to God, Hear from heaven your dwelling place. Aha! And when you hear, forgive. Hmm. If you read the rest of this prayer in 1 Kings chapter 8, You've got to see it correlates with what's coming in Daniel chapter 9, where we see one of Daniel's prayers made in the first year of who? Oh, Darius the Mede. Isn't that lovely? He prays towards the ruins. He knows God is in heaven and he is sure of God's forgiveness. Just like the psalm we read. Just a moment ago. Here is another thing about verse 10. The word is defiance. Mm, some of you like that word. Uh, do you want to bust your idols? Pray. What is Daniel's idol? Is it Darius and being king? The 30-day king? 
Nah, probably not. Is it human favour? Mm, yeah, probably not. What about human safety? Mm, I mean, who? Who does anyone want to be gnawed at by lions? Crunch, crunch. I mean, that's gross, isn't it? And then I ask, wow, is self-preservation, would that be an idol? If you had to choose between self-preservation and renouncing faith, what would you choose? Would you give up and tap out? I mean, this is a question that persecuted churches faced all the time. Physical harm. Or is prayer and our worship of God, even privately, is that always the surest defence? Seems it is. Here's the last point about verse 10. He's consistent, right? He's on his knees three times a day, which might sound boring uh, because it's habit, right? Does habit sound boring? A lifeless routine? Where's the spontaneity? Or uh, why are good habits bad? Why are good habits thought of like, like a train? Keeps you on track. Maintains direction, unwavering, steady, consistent. Now, when Daniel heard about the enemy's plan, he knew he was going to be arrested and thrown to the lions. What did Daniel do? He prayed. And when Jesus knew he was going to be arrested and Killed on a cross? What did Jesus do? Yeah, he prayed. How do you meet a crisis? Entrust yourself to God in prayer. Surely that is the answer. And so when the world sits on you and we face pressure and real temptation to give up, compromise, the answer must be that's You've got to be entrusting yourself and one another to God in prayer. And if you're not in the habit of prayer, what on earth are you doing? Are you proud? Self-sufficient or oblivious? I don't know. What could the answer be? Whatever it is, change your mind, repent and give your heart to God in prayer. Here's the next thing. Don't put your trust in princes, right? Verses 12 to 18. In verse 11, the hunters get the goods. Verse 12, notice they draw the edict out of the king. Now, wasn't there something about 30-day ban on prayer? Verse 12, Darius reasserts the decree stands. And so they press him, verse 13. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. One of the exiles from Judah, the outsider, the one who doesn't belong, boss. He pays no attention to you or your decree and he's persistent in his ongoing defiance. He's praying three times a day. And so the king is trapped and Daniel is trapped and this situation is apparently completely unchangeable. 
And so look at verse 8. We're told twice the law cannot be repealed. Verse 12 says the same. Verse 15 says the same. Verse 17 even says, so his situation cannot be changed. Lock it in. This isn't changing. And so to the lions, Daniel goes. Now, verse 16 to 20. Have a look at those verses. Where does the focus fall? Let's look it up. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the lion's den. Who does that remind you of? And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Well, that's nice. Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he, the king, came near the tent, the king called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel's thrown to the lions, and, uh, and the commentary we get about is how the king feels. And in verse 14, we, we see his compassion. He, make, he tries to make every effort. And you go, well, why is the emphasis here? And I wonder, are we being told that even when we seem to have the favour of those who rule, they seem to be on our side, even then you cannot pin your hopes on them. That they are every bit as helpless or useless as the next person. So application, don't put your trust in princes rulers, politicians, in human beings who cannot save us, Psalm 146, verse 3. And today, political parties pretend to be sympathetic. Uh, they're no friend and they're no saviour. Do we know, despite all impossibilities, do you know who the real king is? The end of verse 16 even underscores this very point. The king says, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you. Only God can, only God will. And so as the king speaks, it's not a wish. This is a declaration, a confidence. Which is why in verse 19, he's running up early, hurrying out to the den. He's not sleeping in because he knows about the inevitable supposed mauling, he's running. And so Daniel 6 is good tonic for us. If I'm God's person in exile, this story tells me that you might have rulers or others in authority that are well disposed towards you, but don't rest in them as your ultimate hope or your trump card. For even they, for all their apparent power, can prove as useless as a waterproof tea bag, as useless, useless as ejector seats in a helicopter, as useless as lips on a chicken. Useless. Why? Well, next point, because salvation belongs to the Lord, no one else.
verses 19 to 28. So verse 18 told us the king fasted. Verse 20 tells us the lion fasted as well. The king hurries to the pit. Verse 20, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel replied in verse 21, No, no, they're still chewing. They started at my toes and they've got up to my ribs. Is that what he said? Chomp, chomp, chomp. No. What does he say? Verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And friends, that's all we need to know. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed, gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And he went like verse 24. Uh, Let me just say the ancient world was brutal, but here it is, verse 24, at the king's command. The men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in because they told lies. They were deceptive. They brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. So our actions have consequences on others. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. The dark side of Daniel's deliverance is the judgment that falls on his enemies, whom are God's enemies. And look, they went as a group again. Wives and children are spared in Israel's system. That's Deuteronomy 24, 16. But remember, this is exile. This is Persia. And all are given to the lions. Now, the climax, verse 25 to verses 25 to 27. See, uh, Darius say he's the living God. He endures forever. He rescues. He saves. This is Psalm 138, verse 4 which uh, foretastes that all the kings of the earth will praise you, Lord. And that is certainly true here. Darius, Nebuchadnezzar, it's a foretaste of how it will be. Because God is the one true king, even over the nations, even when you think God's in exile, and even when you think God's counted out. He's still king. In In the ancient Near East... What is the symbol of royalty and kings? Rah, it's a lion, you got it. And time and time again in this wonderful book, God's people are rescued and delivered from the kings of the ages. And these kings, again, are symbolized in their culture by lions. And here, in chapter 6, do we see God's person? He's in the den of kings. In fact, that's the whole book of Daniel, isn't it? And can can they touch him? No, they've never been able to touch him. They've never been able to touch him, uh, nor his friends. Uh, these kings are rendered powerless. They've been tamed. They've been muted. Every chapter so far, And every chapter that is to come tells this same story. And of course, it's no problem for God. Because God, our Lord, is the real king. That's the message. 
He rescues. He saves. Kingdoms come and kingdoms go. But our Lord is the real king and the true king of all. And so we wait. We wait on him. Here is something else. We've had six chapters of court narratives. And I wonder, is the strategy here to laugh a little? Right? Contrasted with our great God, it's almost comical how powerless these kings really are. Whether it's Nebuchadnezzar or Belshazzar with the writing on the wall, or Darius here, do we find ourselves giggling at them a little, even a little bit? And is that the goal, to grow our confidence and to help us see that the exiled God of Israel isn't the one to be ridiculed, it's these kings. I mean, Darius's decree is meant to be so final and so unchangeable, but at the end of the story, he replaces the unchangeable with a new decree. <laughs> Do you see it? And so, friends, don't tap out. Don't compromise. Keep going to the very end. Because we know and we love and we serve the real king. See, what might tip me over? Marriage failure? Ministry failure? Parenting failure? What if God took good things like those things from me? I've seen people jump the tracks for affection and intimacy and attraction. Too many clergy fold on account of infidelity. What about physical pain? Illness? Torture? What about death by lions? What about death on a cross? Such is his love for you. Jesus never ever tapped out, did he? He endured it to the end. Did Daniel die in the den of lions? No. Sure, the lions are hungry, but Daniel was as good as dead. But God, the real king of everyone and everywhere, brought Daniel out of the den. Did Jesus die on the cross? Yeah. Jesus really did die. Jesus really was dead. But then God brought his son, raised his son from death. And do you know something amazing? God promises to bring all of Jesus' friends out of death and into life with him too. Can God really do that? <laughs> yeah, he can. Because he's done it before. And one day, Jesus' friends will live with him forever and ever. And for now, we can enjoy the same habit that Daniel did. We can talk, pray to the real king of everyone and everywhere, every day and any time. Amen. Oh.
peace we often forfeit Oh, what needless pain we bear Oh, because we do not carry Everything to God in in our time together that we can talk to the real king of everyone everywhere every day anytime and I want to encourage you now to pause and spend some time in prayer reflecting on what we've heard from Daniel chapter 6 um, maybe there are things for you to confess and give to God and put at the throne of the, uh, at the foot of the cross knowing being sure confident of God's grace and forgiveness. Maybe there are things you need to uh, to repent of. But there's much to be thankful for as well as we see God's gracious promises fulfilled in Jesus. Uh, this is a foreshadow of that greater deliverance to come, that one we all enjoy. So whatever you do, don't not pray. Make sure you pray. To help you, again, there's a blue screen that will pop up. Uh, they're particular to... Uh, the Inverell Anglican Church family, but don't let that stop you. Give it a crack. Spend some time coming before the loving Father who loves, loves to hear his people pray. Let's get our Daniel on.
And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with, with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.